All right, will you please take your Bibles this morning and open them with me to the Gospel of Mark, chapter number 6. Mark 6. After a few weeks off, we are finally returning to our series in the Gospel of Mark, and today we are looking at chapter 6, verses number 14 through 19. Mark 6, 14 through 19. Please follow along with me um, as I read these verses. Mark 6, verses 14. King Herod heard of it, for Jesus' name had become known. Some said, John the Baptist has been risen, raised from the dead. That is why these miraculous powers are at work in him. But others said, he is Elijah. And others said, he is a prophet, like one of the prophets of old. But when Herod heard of it, he said, John, whom I beheaded, has been raised. For it was Herod who had sent and seized John and bound him in prison for the sake of Herodias, his, brother's, his brother Philip's wife, because he had married her. For John had been saying to Herod, It is not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. And Herodias had a grudge against him and wanted to put him to death, but she could not. For Herod feared John knowing that he was a righteous and holy man, and he kept him safe. When he heard him, he was greatly perplexed, and yet he heard him gladly. But an opportunity came when Herod, on his birthday, gave a banquet for his nobles and military commanders and the leading men of Galilee. For when Herodias' daughter came in and danced, she pleased Herod and his guest. And the king said to the girl, Ask me for whatever you wish, and I will give it to you. And he vowed to her, Whatever you ask of me, I will give to you, up to half of my kingdom. And she went out and said to her mother, For what should I ask? And she said, The head of John the Baptist. And she came in immediately with haste to the king and asked, saying, I want you to give me at once the head of John the Baptist on a platter. And the king was exceedingly sorry, but because of his oaths and his guest, he did not want to break his word to her. And immediately the king sent an executioner with orders to bring John's head. He went and beheaded him in prison and brought his head on a platter and gave it to the girl and the girl gave it to her mother when his disciples, meaning John's disciples heard of it, they came and took his body and laid it in a tomb Lord, we ask your divine touch upon our hearts this morning by your spirit Teach us from your word so that we would be transformed into the likeness of your Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ. We ask all these things in his name. Amen. Have you ever 
done or said something that left you with a guilty conscience? <laughs> I think we could probably all raise our hands. Maybe it was a hidden sin that no one else knew about. I think we've all got those. Or maybe something horrible that you said to your spouse in a moment of heated anger. Those of you who are married know what that's all about. Or maybe it was the way you treated one of your children in a moment of sinful impatience. I don't know about you guys, but I get impatient with my children. Get impatient with myself. Or for our young people, maybe it was something you did behind your parents' back. We've all felt the sting of a guilty conscience, haven't we? And we are masters at justifying our sin and suppressing our guilty conscience. But no matter how much we try to forget the ghost of past sins that we have never dealt with, they often find a way to come back to haunt us. And this is the scenario that we find in our passage today. A guilty man haunted by a terrible sin. His name was Herod Antipas. Herod Antipas was the son of Herod the Great and ruler of the regions of Galilee and Perea from around 4 B.C., which was close to the time Christ was born, all the way up to 39 A.D., which was just a little bit beyond the life and ministry of Christ. So this Herod here that Mark records and talks about actually lived during the life and ministry of Christ. He reigned and ruled during the life and ministry of Christ. He is the most frequently mentioned Herod of the New Testament. And our passage in Mark 6 contains the record of one of the most significant events of the New Testament. Friends, if you are asleep in here this morning, please wake up. This is one of the most significant events of the New Testament. The murder of John the Baptist by Herod Antipas. And though this passage is predominantly about John and only mentions Jesus one time, everything about it points us to the Lord Jesus Christ. And so I want us to look at it together using three main thoughts, main ideas. And the first is the puzzling identity of a miracle-working preacher. The puzzling identity of a miracle-working preacher. Verse 14 says, King Herod heard of it. Now, to know what it is, you need to look back a couple of verses and you see that Jesus had commissioned his disciples to go and perform miracles and heal and preach in his name. All the word of this got back to Herod. And Mark says, For Jesus' name had become known. Some said, John the Baptist has been raised from the dead. How can we explain all these spectacular miracles? Well, John the Baptist has been raised from the dead. That is why these miraculous works, these miraculous powers are at work in him. Verse 15, But others said he is Elijah. 
And others said, He is a prophet like one of the prophets of old. And so the news of this miracle-working ministry of Jesus and His apostles had reached the ears of Herod. And he was trying to figure out just who this Jesus was. (laughs) But it wasn't just Herod who was confused, okay? Everyone was puzzled by the true identity of Jesus. Everyone. Some said he was John the Baptist. Others said he was Elijah. And still others said that Jesus was a prophet, like one of the prophets of old, like Moses. And you, you know, friends, we, we see this same confusion about the identity of Jesus still today, don't we? Everyone is confused about Jesus. The Jehovah's Witnesses say that Jesus was the first and created being, but He is not God. The Mormons say that Jesus is our spirit brother. The Jews say that He was a great rabbi, but He was not the promised Messiah. Islam says that He was a great prophet, but certainly not the Son of God. For God cannot have a son, so they say. Buddhism says that Jesus was an enlightened teacher, but he was not divine. The Hindus say that Jesus was a guru of great wisdom, but he was not divine. The Freemasons say that Jesus is merely one of the many faces of the great architect of the universe. Choose whichever one you believe in. The skeptical skeptical atheist says that Jesus was a legend. And the agnostic says that he was just a man, if we can even know that he existed at all. See, friends, people have always been puzzled by the identity of Jesus, but it is not because he has concealed that identity. It's because... In our sin, we refuse to abandon our unbelief and submit to Him as exactly who He claimed to be, and that is Lord. Indeed, this is the central question of the entire Gospel of Mark. Who is Jesus? Was He a spectacular miracle worker? Yes. Was He a profound teacher? Yes. Was He a compassionate but powerful preacher, yes, and yes. And so as Mark gradually makes his way toward that climactic question in chapter 8, verse 27, when Jesus himself asked his disciples, Who do men say that I am? Here in chapter 6, we find Herod trying to answer that very question. Who is this man? Friends, I wonder this morning, how would you answer that question? Who is Jesus? I know that most of us from five years old to 95 years old have been around Christian truth long enough to be able to rattle off an answer that passes the heresy test. 
But I'm not asking you to regurgitate something you learned in Sunday school when you were eight. I'm asking you, do you know this Jesus that Herod was so puzzled by? Or does the mention of his name conjure up alternative ideas about who he is? Ideas that make him more palatable to our modern culture. A Jesus who just wants everyone to be kind. A Jesus who never judges. A Jesus who never makes any demands of us. Friends, that's not the Jesus of the Bible. That Jesus only exists in our imaginations. In fact, he is the figment of the vain imagination of fallen sinful man. A Jesus who does not warn of the impending judgment. A Jesus who does not call us to follow him, denying everything, forsaking all. Is not the Jesus of the Bible. He is not the Jesus whose reputation preceded him to, to Herod. And like so many today, Herod was confused about just who he was. He said in verse 16, He is John, whom I beheaded. He has been raised. <laughs> His guilty conscience is working, you see. A grave sin from Herod's past had returned to haunt him. The murder of John the Baptist. And starting with verse 17, Mark sort of gives us a flashback, okay? Herod was imprisoned by, or John was imprisoned by Herod for about a year and a half before the events we read right here of his, of his murder, of his death, of his martyrdom. A year, year and a half he'd spent in Herod's prison. And Mark gives us this flashback of the event. And so secondly, we move on to see the perverse behavior of a power-hungry politician. The perverse behavior of of a power-hungry politician. In verse 14, Mark refers to Herod as a king, though he wasn't actually a king, okay? Both Matthew and Luke, the other synoptic writers, they call him Herod the Tetrarch. Herod the Tetrarch, which simply means ruler. So, obviously, Mark is calling him king out of irony. Or perhaps even... Perhaps even sarcasm. King Herod. History records that this so-called King Herod Antipas was a superstitious, he was a power-hungry, immoral man who fell in love with his half-brother Philip's wife. Her name was Herodias. He fell in love with her during a visit, a trip to Rome. And Herod, Antipas, and Herodias ended up actually divorcing their spouses and marrying each other. As divine providence would have it, this incestuous and adulterous marriage would ultimately be Herod's downfall. As the unwise influence of his new wife would result in military defeat 
at the hands of his first wife's father who sought revenge against Herod for dishonoring his daughter. The Jewish historian Josephus writes that it was commonly believed that Herod's defeat was because of what he did to John the Baptist. And both Herod and his wife Herodias were eventually banished by the Roman Emperor Gaius in 39 AD. Herod's immorality, his pride, his lust for power might even remind us of some American politicians today, right? But in the first century, there was a man. (laughs) Oh, that God would give us more like him. He was a prophet who came in the fiery spirit of Elijah, who the Apostle Apostle Matthew says he, he preached a message of repentance. He called the hypocritical Pharisees a brood of vipers. Speaking to the religious leaders of his day, he said, You brood of vipers, John called them. He spoke boldly about the coming wrath of God. That's who John was. We call him John the Baptist. I don't know about you guys, but that makes me feel pretty good. That he wasn't John the Presbyterian. I know I crack on the Presbyterians a lot. I'm sorry. I know we have some recovering Presbyterians in here. We call him John the Baptist. And John recognized Herod for the unrestrained wicked man that he was. Verse 18 says that John had been saying to Herod, it is not lawful. Notice his use of the law there. John is using the law to identify Herod's sin. It is not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. (laughs) And the language here indicates that it was a continual rebuke. John had been saying to him. And in his preaching, John made an enemy of the most powerful man, in the region for the sake of truth. Verse 19, And Herodias, who is John's wife, actually also his sister, in, or not John's wife, but Herod's wife, is also his sister-in-law, Herodias had a grudge against John and wanted to put him to death. But she could not, for Herod feared John. He's afraid of him, knowing that he was a righteous and a holy man, and he kept him safe. When he heard them, he was get this, this is this is so this is amazing. When Herod heard John, he was greatly perplexed, yet he heard him gladly. So Herod had a complicated relationship to John. He was amused by him. 
but he was offended by him. And he was also afraid of him. He was afraid of him because of John's popularity with the people. One might even call John the people's prophet. They liked him. They recognized him. Matthew tells us that they, they considered John to be a prophet. But whatever admiration, whatever fear Herod had for John, he would not give up his sin. He would not repent of his adultery. And here lies Herod's application for us today in this building, dear brothers and sisters, as the great 19th century preacher J.C. Ryle says. He says, let us take warning from Herod's case. Let us keep back nothing. Let us cleave to no favorite vice. Spare nothing that stands between us and salvation. Let us often look within and make sure that there is no darling lust or pet transgression which, like Herodias, is murdering our souls. Friends, is there some Herodias-like sin in your life this morning that you have been unwilling to forsake? Is there some person exerting a sinful influence in your life, leading you away from the truth, perhaps an unhealthy relationship? Or is there some habitual sin that you just simply will not deal with? Will you, will I, will we be like Herod this morning and be glad to hear the truth but unwilling to obey it? (laughs) Eventually, Herod buckled under the pressure of his wife and he had John put in prison. Verse 21, we get yet another glimpse at Herod's immorality. This was a wicked man. His wife was wicked. (laughs) We get a glimpse of his immorality of all places at his birthday party. And here is where the plot begins to thicken. Because this night of partying would afford his wife the perfect opportunity to once and for all get rid of this preacher who would not stay silent about their sin. And so we come to our final division, our final main heading in this passage. The pricey stand of a fearless prophet. The pricey stand of a fearless prophet. Verse 21 says, But an opportunity came when Herod on his birthday gave a banquet for his nobles and military commanders and the leading men of Galilee. Everybody was there. For when Herodias' daughter came in and danced, she pleased Herod and his guests. And the king said to the girl, Ask me for whatever you wish, and I will give it to you. And he vowed to her, Whatever you ask of me, I will give you up to half of my kingdom. 
This man dug his own hole. And knowing her husband's lustful proclivities, Herodias sends her teenage daughter. She was probably 14, 15, maybe 16 years old at the time. Herodias sends her teenage daughter to dance for Herod and his distinguished party guests, which, by the way, were all men. They were all men. And in a moment of lustful, no doubt drunken judgment, Herod promises this sultry teenage girl anything that she wants, up to half of his so-called kingdom. (laughs) I don't think Caesar would recognize Herod's claim on a kingdom, but he certainly thought he was a king. And he promised up to half of it to this teenage girl who was enticing his lustful thoughts with her body. And here's the point where Herodias makes her move. Verse 24. She being Herodias' daughter, her name was Salome, by the way. The New Testament doesn't give us that, but we know from later Jewish history that we think her name was Salome. She went out and said to her mother, For what should I ask? What do you want me to ask from him? And she said, the head of John the Baptist. You dance for the head of this prophet who will not shut up about my sin. Verse 25, she came in immediately with haste. Notice Mark's language there, church. She came in immediately. We know that's one of his favorite words, but he doesn't say just immediately. She came in immediately with haste (laughs) to the king and asked, saying, I want you to give me at once. I don't want to wait anymore for this. I want the head of John the Baptist on a platter, and I want it now. Verse 26, And the king was exceedingly sorry. This was not a righteous sorrow, friends. This was a worldly sorrow. This was he was sorry because it's going to it's going to have consequences for me. He was exceedingly sorry, but because of his oaths and his guest, he did not want to break his word to her. He was too proud to appear weak in front of his party guest. And so Herod succumbs to the evil plot of his wife and stepdaughter, who was actually his niece, because remember her father was Herod's brother, Philip. (laughs) Verse 27 says, And immediately the king sent an executioner with orders to bring John's head. He went and beheaded him in the prison and brought his head on a platter. This is brutal. This is disgusting. This is at a party, a birthday party. 
He brought his head on a platter and gave it to the girl. And the girl gave it to her mother. The brutal deed was done. John the Baptist, this fearless prophet, who called out the sin of Galilee's ruler, was dead and gone. He was finally gone. Verse 29 tells us that his disciples came and laid his body to rest. You see, friends, taking a public stand for truth is a dangerous thing. That's the point. (laughs) God's prophets have always been persecuted. Always. They've been mocked. They've been imprisoned, tortured, stoned, murdered. And Hebrews 11 verse 37 says that some were even sewn in or, or sawn in half. They were cut in half with a saw. Hebrews 11.37 Probably speaking about Isaiah. Cut in half with a saw. Truth is dangerous. In February of this year, you've heard me mention this before, James Coates, the pastor of Grace Life Church in Edmonton, Alberta, up in Canada, just our neighbor to the north, a Western nation, right? Democratic nation. James Coates was arrested for refusing to adhere to the extreme health restrictions (laughs) imposed by the local government, which would have limited his congregation of almost 400 would have limited that congregation's gathering of 400 to 60 people on a Sunday morning. Pastor Coates refused to comply. And this man spent five weeks in jail. Spent five weeks in jail. They took him to jail... He was shackled, hands and feet. I want this to weigh on us this morning, church. I don't care about pandemic. I don't care about COVID. This needs to weigh on us. This was a preacher. This is not some aberrant heretic out there. This was a graduate of the Master's Seminary, (laughs) Los Angeles, California. A bastion of gospel truth pastoring a church up north, hauled to jail in shackles because his church could not, they couldn't be a church under these restrictions. And I know you're hearing all this stuff on the internet. What a church ain't the building, the church ain't, what a, forget all that nonsense. Okay, forget that. Do not forsake the assembling of yourselves together. The author of Hebrews says, All the more as you see the day approaching. Friends, if you don't see that day approaching, you're not looking. And so even now, we need to be more serious about getting together as the church. 
The New Testament doesn't know anything. There's no concept of church apart from assembly. That's what the word means, assembly. He refused to comply. He spent five years or five weeks in jail. (laughs) He was released a few weeks ago, but only then to have his church's property barricaded. With fences so that they could not even come to the building. And on Sunday mornings, there are images of this images of this all over the internet. Armed police officers guarding the building in Canada. You can read all about this online. The facts are there. Forget about COVID. Forget about whatever they said was the reason why. This is all for a virus that has somewhere close, give or take, I don't know, 99% survival rate. No one disputes that. Nobody disputes it. But it's not just arbitrary health orders that are causing problems for pastors these days, is it? Those who stand against the progressive worldview of woke social justice are being increasingly censured. And my goodness, those who dare say that a man is a man and a woman is a woman and marriage is between one man and one woman for life, those preachers are accused of hateful bigotry. But it's not just preachers who are feeling the heat, is it? Standing for truth has landed bakers, photographers, (laughs) in court, facing lawsuits for discrimination. Truth may cost you a promotion at work, dear friends. It may even cost you your job. Some of you know what I'm talking about. Some of you have experienced it. There is, of course, a way to avoid all this, isn't there? We can just be silent. We can... Shut our mouths and keep our faith to ourselves. We can keep the truth of God's Word, which is the only thing that can save this depraved world. We can keep the truth of God's Word hidden under the, <laughs> the desk, the bed, in the language of the Gospels. We can keep the lamp of God's Word hidden under the table of personal comfort and security, and we'll be just fine. Or as Vody Bauckham says, he says this, persecution can be avoided. All you have to do is compromise. Friends, are we going to, are we going to compromise when the progressive mob comes for us? Oh, it's easy to sit in the safety of these pews and say Amen. But it's a little different when the police show up at our door. Or when the manager calls you in for a conference because a co-worker complained about your bigoted views. Now, I'm not talking, you're not, you're not standing on the, you know, at the water cooler preaching hate. You're just having conversations with people. And they're like, 
this person is this person is bad they're toxic they're bigoted they're hateful they're not tolerant are we going to buckle under the pressure like Herod did with his wife or are we going to stand like John fearless and bold to speak gospel truth to this depraved culture. Is that who we're going to be? What about it, young people? We have some young people in here today. Are you afraid to speak up at school or in front of your friends? (laughs) I mean, my goodness, everyone else is bold enough to repeat whatever cultural brainless soundbite they've seen on YouTube or TikTok. So why in the world should you be afraid to speak the living word of God? Is it in your heart at all, young people? I said at the beginning that everything in this passage points to Jesus. He's only mentioned once, but it all is about it's, it's always about Jesus. You see, John was the forerunner. The one who came before, he prepared the way for the Messiah. And friends, ultimately, John died for the sake of Christ. He died for the cause of Christ because he was unwilling to compromise the truth. Herod, on the other hand, had such a guilty conscience over what he did to John that he thought Jesus was John risen from the dead. You remember I told you he was superstitious. He thought Jesus had risen from the dead, but friends, Herod would eventually come. (laughs) He would eventually come face to face with Jesus. In a scene that would show the true nature of evil that was in his heart. Let me read it to you from Luke chapter 23. When Pilate learned that Jesus belonged to Herod's jurisdiction. What jurisdiction is that? Galilee. When Pilate learned that Herod, or that Jesus belonged to Herod's jurisdiction, he sent him over to Herod. Remember, this is, this is in the trials of Jesus, all these illegal trials. <laughs> Pilate wants to get rid of him. He do not want to deal with this. So he sends him to Herod who was in Jerusalem at the time, Luke says in chapter 23, when Herod saw Jesus, he was very glad. You hear the language. He was very glad. What did Mark say about Herod and John? He said he was glad to hear him. Herod was a playboy. He wanted to be entertained. When he saw Jesus, he was very glad, Luke says, for he had long desired to see him. No doubt, thinking about this very incident, this very scene in Mark, when he heard about the the miracles and the work of Christ, he longed to see him because he had heard about him and he was hoping to see some sign done by him. So he questioned him at some length, but Jesus made no answer. The Son of God does not have to answer the skeptical imaginations of fallen sinful man. 
The chief priests and the scribes stood by. These are the religious leaders. They're over there standing, looking at this, this fake trial from a fake king who was eyeball to eyeball with the king of kings. And they were vehemently, Luke says, accusing him. Verse 11, here it is. Here is who Herod Antipas really is. Herod, with his soldiers, treated Christ with contempt and mocked him. Then arraying him in splendid clothing, he sent him back to Pilate. Oh. Herod stood before the eternal Son of God wanting to be entertained. And when Jesus wouldn't satisfy his idolatrous demands, he mocked him with contempt, dressed him up like the king that he claimed to be, sent him back to Pilate. Where Pilate would deliver him up to be beaten and crucified. So Herod Antipas, friends, was complicit in the murder of both the Messiah's prophet, John, and the Messiah himself, Jesus. Pilate's worried about the blood on his hands. Herod should be worried about the blood on his hands. What about you this morning? How are you going to respond to Jesus Christ and the truth of his gospel? Will you dismiss it? Will you be amused by it? Entertained by it? Will you dismiss it as being irrelevant? Will you mock his prophets? Will you look at those preachers out there preaching the truth and say, Oh, what a fool. <laughs> Will you reject Jesus in unbelief? Or are you going to create your own Jesus who is compatible with your truth? You see, that's what we have today. People creating their own Jesus. It's an idolatrous Jesus. It's an idolatrous image. We are idolaters at heart, John Calvin said. And we create our own Savior who's compatible with us. Or will we, will we submit to His divine Lordship? Will we forsake our sin and unbelief in repentance and take up our cross and follow Him every single day no matter what it may cost us? You see, friends, what cost John his life was what cost Jesus his life. Truth. This is the high cost of truth. And I want to close with the words of Jesus in Mark chapter 8. Beginning at verse number 34, the Lord Jesus Christ Himself. If you have a red-letter Bible, it's in red. He said this, Mark 8, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake... And the gospel's sake, Jesus said, will find it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit 
his own soul. What can a man give in return for his soul? For whoever is ashamed. We, we always want to talk about the whoever of the gospel. The whosoever of the gospel. Friend, there's another whosoever in the New Testament. And it comes from the words of Christ, right? The mouth of Christ right here. Whoever is ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation of Him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when He comes in glory of His Father with the holy angels. John the Baptist was not ashamed, though it cost Him His very life. And friends, when it's our turn, and it will be our turn if we live long enough, and I think I think we're... We have people in these pews this morning that will live long enough to see this. When it's our turn, may we, like John, find Christ worth dying for. Friends, let's pray.